I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into the Word of God tonight. Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for those who have have given of their time and uh, sacrificed even uh, friends and and family and uh, just all that it goes into serving our country. And we so appreciate those who have uh, protected our freedoms, these wonderful freedoms that we enjoy. And so we just ask for your blessing upon them. Pray, Lord, that even as they remember those that they served with, Lord, that you just might really encourage their hearts. And, uh, Lord, that the family members of our servicemen and women would just be encouraged and blessed. And we thank you, dear God. We thank you for this wonderful country that you placed us in. Amidst all of its faults, it's still, I believe, the greatest country in the world. And so now, Lord, as we go into to your word, we ask that you might teach us, give us understanding, that we might be faithful to not only do your word, but Lord, I know some of us tonight need encouragement from your word. And so we ask that you might teach us and encourage us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're getting into, we're in Romans chapter 8. And I, by by the way, I really appreciate Hidardo teaching last week. I was at a Living Well pregnancy-centered dinner and uh, Hidardo did a fabulous job. So really appreciated him. But we're in Romans chapter 8, and this is probably one of the most hopeful chapters in the whole Bible. I mean, I'm sure there's a few chapters that you could point to about that. But, I mean, Romans chapter 8, after Paul talking about the struggle that we have with sin in the flesh, even after receiving Jesus Christ, he gives us, he starts out Romans 8 with that wonderful therefore, and gives us this encouragement that there is therefore now no condemnation for those to those who are in Christ Jesus. And praise God for that. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and put your hope in Him, you've believed on Him for your salvation, there's no more condemnation. And that's quite amazing. And I know some of us live with guilt in our lives and we struggle with guilt for past deeds. But listen, uh, you need to believe this verse. You trust in Jesus. Don't take that back upon yourself but by faith, uh, you started, uh, you believed in Jesus, and by faith, you are sanctified in Jesus. And so, as we continue in this hopeful chapter, we're going to get into the subject of suffering tonight. Uh, but I, I really believe that as we talk about this subject of suffering, we're going to see that there's great hope in the Lord God and for each and every one of of his children. And so we're going to get into this. Now, husbands, those of you who are husbands, you're going to be tested tonight. And um, depending on your response, you might be in trouble. I just want to warn you ahead of time. You've been warned. So let me go ahead and get started. You know, know, uh, speaking of suffering, I was reading a uh, a little journal, uh, and they were talking about a conference that that uh, medical physicians and nutritionists had gathered together to discuss our um, uh, what our diets are consisting of and how dangerous some of the things that we have been eating have affected us. And uh, they were going into the, the anatomy of the stomach and some of these things like red meat soft drinks corroding your stomach lining, Chinese food being loaded with MSG, high-fat diets can be disastrous, and, and uh, none of us realize the long-term harm caused by germs in our drinking water. And then the doctor went on to say, but there's one thing that is the most dangerous of all, and we all have or will eat it. 
So he asked the question, can anyone here tell me what food it is that causes the most grief and suffering for years after eating it? And after several seconds, a 75-year-old man in the front row raised his hand and said, wedding cake. You might be in trouble. <laughs> no, I'm looking at the men here. <laughs> no, in, in, all, in all seriousness, uh, as we actually talk about real suffering and the trials of life, we're going to see that God has so much hope. And he's using the, these trials and the things that we persevere through to, to help us grow in him to develop us. And we're going to see that that's really how we become more and more like him. And so we're continuing to talk about this work, God's work of sanctification in us. And as we entered into Romans 8, Paul is helping us understand this incredible ministry of the Holy Spirit to the believer. We have learned so far that those who are in Christ have been given the Spirit of God and God dwells in the believer. How amazing is that, that God has uh, indwelt in the believer, or the word is tabernacled, uh, made his home, abided in each and every believer who is in Jesus Christ. More than that, the child of God is led by the Spirit of God. And we read that last week. And uh, I can't help but think about all the times that I've led my daughters around when they were young. You grab them by the hand and you lead them around. And you know, even as they got older, especially even Lucy still, I'm trying to hang on to that a little bit and just grab her by the hand as we walk places. And Lucy, grab my hand. I know she's getting too old for that, but, but I'm just hanging on as long as I can because I love leading my daughters around. And we saw that the Holy Spirit actually leads the child of God. And then we also saw that through the Spirit of God, we are able to cry out these beautiful words to God, Abba, Father, Daddy, that we can cry to God, Daddy. I mean, uh, when we think about titles of God and who God is, it's just incredible that God invites us to cry, Abba, Daddy, listen to me. And I'll tell you right now, if there are words that can move a father, it's hearing their daughter say, Daddy. Uh, I, I have always said that for years, that when my kids use that word, it's like, oh, be strong, Dave, be strong. <laughs> so, um, and, and God, God gives us that wonderful invitation. And then, then we see that the Spirit bore, bears witness to our adoption. And how do we need that? Just that, that daily encouragement, that ongoing encouragement from the Spirit of God that we are children of God. Anyone here ever just been displeased with themselves or felt condemnation coming upon or just felt not good enough. I, this guy has. I don't know about you, but I know I have. And how important it is that the Spirit bears witness to our adoption. That's a wonderful idea. And, of course, we read uh, last week about the idea that that adoption comes with an inheritance, that we become heirs to, of God and joint heirs with Christ. And so now we're picking up in verse 18, but I'm going to back up to verse 16 just so we get the context of 18, okay? So here we go, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider 
that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so as Paul is sharing about this sonship or uh, becoming children of God, daughters and, and, and sons to God, he says that not only are we heirs and co-heirs with Christ, but he says, if indeed we suffer with him. And so he introduces that in verse 17. And as soon as we hear the word suffer, we kind of go, wait a minute, hold on, you're pulling something fast on me? Uh, who, who said anything about suffering? Uh, don't we all want the easy life? Well, the fact is, as Paul is stating a, a, a fact about this world, that there's going to be scars to be taken. And that is a reality of the world that we live in, that each and every one of us are going to be scarred. Now, come that day when Jesus wipes away every tear and, and God heals all those things, we're going to see the only scars that remain in heaven are those of Jesus crucified. But until that day, we're going to suffer, and more so even for righteousness, the Bible is telling us, that, that just in the same way that Christ suffered, you and I are going to suffer with Christ. That's just the reality of believing in him. And so he says, but Paul adds this in verse 18, that I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And this is Paul. And by the way, Paul has had no easy go. You can read uh, some of the things that have happened to Paul in Corinthians as he shares about the beatings he's taken, the shipwrecks, the hunger, all these things for the gospel of Christ. He's suffered quite a bit. And, and Paul says from a standpoint of experience, listen, these sufferings, they, they're not even worthy to be compared with the glory that God is going to reveal in us. And so we need to keep that in mind as we're dealing with these things. I love hiking. Uh, hiking and, and uh, getting out in the wilderness is one of our favorite things to do. In fact, every year in the fall, we go up to the eastern Sierras, and it's just been something we, our family's done for years, and slowly many of the families in the church have just added on up there. I think this last year, like the majority of uh, Parchers was like church CCOT people, but uh, there was kind of a little joke rolling around this year about the Johnson family death march. And uh, we, <laughs> we like to, my family and I, we like to go on hikes in the Eastern Sierras every time. We want to see a new lake every time we go up there because there's so many lakes. So we're just like, let's go visit a new lake. And, and anywhere you go in the Eastern Sierras is going to start with at least 800 feet to 1,000 foot climb. You're just going to have to climb and get through it. And my kids have, have all learned, like, this is just what we do, and we all enjoy it a lot, but, but not every family enjoys it. In fact, I've, I've heard how not everyone wants to hike with us. But for me, the glory which will be revealed at the end of that hike is so worth the challenge of doing that hike. I want to see it. And this year, we actually saw one of the most beautiful lakes I've actually seen up there, Long Lake. It was just incredible, so gorgeous, and it's totally worth it to me, that glory. But that's a simple illustration in the short term about what Paul is speaking about. When we understand why we're suffering, when we understand what God is going to do through us, then we say, okay, this is nothing in comparison. This is nothing in comparison to what God is going to reveal in us, that wonderful glory that we're going to share 
and, and that he'll be, reveal in us. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about that relationship with him. We're talking about the finished work of, of, of God on us, that God is going to finish us to completion. And we're going to see that more in this passage. So if indeed we suffer him, we may also be glorified together. In fact, our sharing in this present suffering is a condition of our future glorification. So the Christian needs to approach suffering today as just a part of the condition of that future glorification. That when we suffer, this, okay, Lord, this is, this is a part of what you're doing in me, and I can, I, I'll keep my eyes fixed upon you. But he doesn't leave us alone to suffer by ourselves, and that's part of the, the, role, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Now, First Peter 4.12, Peter reiterates the same idea, and we, we see it other places, but First Peter 4.12-16 really shares this. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. First of all, I love that. In 4 verse 12, it's like, listen, don't we often react to suffering with shock? I, I know I do. Nobody wants to suffer and we're always shocked. And you know, some things in our lives come out of nowhere and, and we are shocked. We're a little bit shell-shocked by it. Uh, be it disease, be it uh, you know, a car accident, things like that. There are things that that take us by surprise, but but Peter says, don't think this is strange. This is a part of being a Christian in this world. So he goes on to say this, verse thirteen. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. So now Peter is speaking about the idea of suffering for Christ, that when you're persecuted, that listen, on their part, they're committing blasphemy. Okay, so someone's uh, insulting Christ, they're persecuting you for the name of Christ. Well, guess what? They're blaspheming. That's their part. But what about your part? On your part, Jesus is glorified. Isn't that interesting? That, that this person can be blaspheming Christ and, and bringing persecution to the Christian. And, and for, for the Christian, is glorifying to Jesus. Um, so he says, verse 15, but let, let none, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. I love Peter's practical advice is like, okay, now, but hold on. If you're suffering as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybotter, well, that's your own fault. (laughs) Okay, don't start saying, I'm being persecuted here. Uh, Rather, uh, if you're suffering for Jesus, Understand that you're glorifying God in the manner, but, but don't suffer for sin's sake. And so, so we, we need to be able to deviate or uh, distinguish those, two, those uh, two ideas of suffering. Suffering for sin versus suffering for Christ. And so when we suffer in this life, we have the opportunity to glorify God through our suffering. And that includes just sickness. It includes those hardships of life. 
that we all have an opportunity to bring glory to God for all, to all those who watch around us, not, and not even just for, to be on display for them, but, but for yourself to glorify God during that time of suffering. And, and you have that opportunity to, to suffer for him, and that your suffering actually uh, is, uh, is unto God versus just because. So, Romans 8, verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, Paul kind of shifts to help us understand it's not just us who suffer, but the whole creation is actually suffering as a result of this fallen world. Now, it uses the, in verse 19, it uses the word, the creation eagerly awaits. Now, this word, the verb, eagerly awaits, it's used seven times in the New Testament. And each time, it refers to Christ's return. Now, here's the cool part. Three of those seven times are right here in Romans chapter 8. It's used in verse 19, which we just read. It's used in verse 23, as it says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan with ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption. And then in verse 25, it says, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And so this verb is this verb is used seven times and it really has the it carries with it this idea that we're we're not just waiting for something, we're waiting for someone. We're waiting for Jesus Christ. We're waiting upon him and that that's where our focus is at. We're waiting for Jesus to come back for us. And and that really changes uh, the way we deal with suffering as a Christian. The revealing of the sons of God will occur when Christ returns for his own. And by the way, I just want to make a statement here about, or a comment about verse 19 where it says that the creation is eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. I think it's interesting that in the New Testament, we are referred to his church as the sons of God. And we are identified with Jesus Christ in that way. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But, it's, but there's, um, there is a juxtaposition here because when you think about Jesus' favorite title for himself, it was, does anybody remember the favorite title of Jesus for himself? Son of Man. Jesus doesn't ever refer to himself in, in the sense of Son of God. He loves to refer to himself as Son of Man. In fact, in Daniel 7, we read that, that Daniel saw in the night visions the Son of Man coming on the clouds. And I think it's just interesting that Jesus identifies himself with us, and yet, God, yet through him we're identified with God. And I, I don't know where I'm going with this. It's an observation I've made, and I'm kind of wrestling through this idea, and I want to spend more time just kind of meditating on this idea because I, I think it's really interesting that we get to be called sons of God, yet Jesus became son of man for our sake. Uh, 
And uh, so it's really quite wonderful that we're identified with the Lord through this. But it says the creation is eagerly awaiting the sons of God to be revealed. And verse 20 says, for, for the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption and the glorious liberty of the children of God. The creation has been subjected to frustration. If you think you're frustrated when, when we have to suffer, when you see wrongdoing or evil, you're not alone. Pa- Paul helps us understand that all the creation is groaning at this because things aren't working the way they're supposed to. If you remember in Genesis when Adam and Eve, or the man and the woman, uh, uh, were told that they could eat any fruit of the garden, just don't eat the fruit in the center. And of course, we know Eve was tempted, and she ate of it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her. And then they went and hid from the Lord God, because for the first time they were afraid of God in His presence. And, and then the Lord in chapter 3, toward the end of chapter 3, began to share with them the consequences for their sin. And to the man he said, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you shall return. The the consequences of sin had a much greater effect than just man, just the man and the woman. The whole creation was affected by these consequences of sin. And so Paul is revealing to us that even the creation is waiting for this finished work of God in us that we would be revealed with Christ. And of course, that's going to happen when he returns. But the creation is, was subjected to futility that we read here in Romans 8.20. And that word futility, it's a state of being without use or value, emptiness, purposelessness, transitoriness. We're thinking about decay and all those things wrong with the universe. It's not meeting its purpose since the fall of man. And it's waiting eagerly for the sons of God to be revealed. Listen, When people are concerned with our climate, we hear about climate change, a.k.a. global warming. When I was young, it was ozone layer erosion. Whatever crisis plug in there with the planet, understand this. These are truly real issues. Now, I'm not going to say that I agree fully with where they're coming from. I think that they turn it into a religion and an excuse to abuse people. But, but these are real issues that, that we know this earth that we are currently living in isn't going to be the earth that goes into the millennial kingdom. And eventually it's going to be completely changed. But these are real issues, and when people recognize that, man, it shouldn't be like this. We shouldn't see these disasters or these problems. They're absolutely right in what they're saying. The problem is their solutions for it are totally off. The solution is repentance, a turning to Christ. I'll tell you right now, (laughs) if, if you want rain, don't look to global warming. Look to the Lord God. 
Repent of your sin. Call out to him. He promises that he'll heal the land. If my people are called by my name, turn to me and they repent, I'll heal their land. I mean, there's a solution right there. But instead we look to, to, to the, 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 the earth. In fact, we have uh, uh, religious uh, leaders. I'm going to call them religious leaders because I, I, I dare not call them Christians calling out to Mother Earth. This is not the solution. All creation groans and waits. So we can identify with the idea that things aren't working as they are, but, but that's why we eagerly await His coming. Let me share with you a passage about what will happen when Jesus reigns on this earth. Isaiah 11, 5 through 9. It says this. Isaiah 11. Did I give you that verse? Okay, I did. All right. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. It's speaking about Jesus. And faithfulness, the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Now that's abnormal. I don't know if you guys know this or not. But that seems abnormal for wolves and lambs to dwell together. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Definitely not a normal thing. The calf and the young lion. Wait, go back for a minute. The calf and the young lion and the, fall, uh, and the fatling together. Now, you know what fatlings are. They're, they're, they're good for dinner. <laughs> Yet the young lion is like, yeah, we can be together. And a little child shall lead them. Okay, little children playing with lions. Go on to the next verse. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. By the way, if you let your baby play by a cobra's hole, that would be considered child abuse or neglect at the very least, right? I I think so. Uh, I'm pretty sure. And, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There, there is going to be a different earth coming when Jesus reigns. It's going to be totally different. And obviously the idea here is that this peace that will reign upon the earth during his reign is going to be so transformative. This is what all creation groans for. This reinstatement of how things were supposed to be. And of course we know that this is going to happen in two stages of renovation. The first renovation is at his coming at the millennial reign of Christ. And the second will be afterwards, after that millennial reign of Christ, that thousand year reign, when we see the new heavens and the new earth. Man, the day is coming. And so Paul tells us that all creation groans. You're not alone. When, when you say that things aren't working right, that cancer shouldn't be eating my body the way it is, that the sickness shouldn't be overtaking, that, that people, it, it just hurts so bad to see people hurt or suffer or, or uh, their lives destroyed or uh, the pain that happens in this world. You're not alone in saying that. But verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. 
man, this is, it's normal to see these things and groan. That groaning, though, should lead us to prayer and waiting upon the Lord with eyes fixed uh, and, and hope filled at the coming of, of, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and so as we, as we consider this, let's go to verse 24. It says, For we were saved in this hope. The hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one uh, still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. It's interesting that Paul uses the word perseverance here because perseverance is always something that we have to bear down to do. We have to invest in. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as we persevere through some trial. And so as we, as we hope for what, what will come to be, as we place our hope in him, we, we wait for it with perseverance. Now, it doesn't mean that the suffering gets easier. Pain hurts. Suffering's terrible. But we know that that won't be the end. And we're going to see that in just a minute here in Romans, that God is going to do something quite great through even our suffering. Just as he has done through his very own suffering in, in reconciling the, the, a sinful world to himself, we're going to see God does something great with us. Living in this fallen world takes great perseverance, but we don't do it alone. And this is important to remember that God has given us his spirit to help us. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What an incredible passage. This is one of those passages that, that you should mark up as, this is how to pray, okay? And that is a reliance upon the Holy Spirit. The, the Bible is telling us that, that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. That, 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 that's part of the role of the Spirit of God in us, that God has given us His wonderful Spirit and a reward and a way to help us that, that, that we might be able to persevere through our weaknesses. When we say, I can't take anymore, when I, I don't know what to do, we wait upon the Lord. Notice that it says, that for we do not know what we ought should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Friends, this is not speaking about the gift of tongues. This is speaking about, I don't know how to pray. God, I'm in pain. Ah! Okay, the groanings. Let the Spirit of God intercede on your behalf to the throne of God. You just trust in Him, and that's okay. You can groan. Guess what? God's giving you a spirit that He can interpret that groan for you. Even when you, don't, you yourself don't know how to pray, God's saying, I'll help you. I'll take care of this. God is our helper. The, the word here, by the way, this is a super long word in the Greek for helps. It's, uh, okay, I got to work on this again. Suna, uh, sunanti lambanumai. Uh, it's a good long word. <laughs> and, and, and it means to come to the aid of or be assistance to. It, it's this rich word that pictures someone helping another carry a heavy load. All of a sudden coming alongside just in time. 
Martha, as Jesus, she, she used the same word. Remember, she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, uh, my sister has left me all alone. Tell her to come and help me. And, and that, that same word is used there. I, I'm, I'm collapsing under the pressure here. Of course, Martha needed to learn a lesson about, uh, from Jesus about that good portion. But, but th- that's the idea that just I, I need so much help, I can't bear the load of what's going on. And yet God in his spirit, he's given us his spirit that even in our groans, he intercedes on our behalf. That word intercedes. It only occur, occurs here in the New Testament. And by the way, I'm going to teach you a fun word. Hapax legomenon. Okay, and that means a word that only occurs once. There you go. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything. It's just for really smart people that make us feel not smart. All right. <laughs> but, but it means, that what the word means as far as intercede, it means approaches or appeals to someone. And so the Holy Spirit approaches God for us and appeals for us. Let me show you this uh, video of Derek Redmond in the 1992 Olympics. It's real powerful, but I think it gives a, a wonderful physical illustration Tom to and Craig back what's happening here spiritually. You can turn off Olympic Stadium if you want. in Barcelona coming up to the men's 400-meter semifinals. Here are the lane assignments. Steve Lewis in lane three. Top four to Wednesday's final. Steve Lewis in lane three. Roberto Hernandez out quickly in four. Now down the back stretch. Ismael on the left of the screen is running very, very quickly. And inside of Lewis, Sunday Bada of Nigeria. And Derek Redman of Great Britain has pulled up with an injury. Redman is out. Derek Redman, the British record holder and an important member of that British 4 by 400 meter relay team as he doesn't want anybody to help him. It'll be Lewis to win in 44.50. Look at this. He's going to try to finish his semifinal race. The British have a certain tradition of running which you have to respect a bizarre finish to this first semi-final in the men's 400 meters Derek Redmond of Great Britain pulled up with an injury halfway down the back stretch he's fighting off those trying to help him to finish the race in his lane And now the pain too much. throughout Olympic Stadium as Redmond, with assistance this time, approaches the finish line he had wanted so desperately to reach.
That is the Olympic spirit. That that video is just such a powerful illustration for needing help. Uh, I, I love the fact that Derek's father comes out and he's got a hat on that says, just do it, right? Advertising the Nike motto. But what happens when you can't just do it? Because that's the real fact of the matter is Derek Redmond, it, it tears his hamstring and he can't even do it. He's trying his best, but he can't do it. And his dad runs out there on the field and takes him and says, I'm going to help you finish. And you saw all the people trying to get in their way and, okay, here we are. We're going to help. And the dad's like, get out of here. We're finishing. Yeah, we know he's disqualified. We know all those things, but he wants to finish this race. And his dad came alongside him. And that's a wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit, but how much more the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit isn't far away in a stand, sitting, waiting for the need. The Holy Spirit is with us, God with us. He, he, he dwells in the believer, and, and he's always there as our wonderful helper, interceding on our behalf. Now, I'm going to move into 28, but we're not going to really finish 28 because we want to get into communion. We want to make sure to have communion But this is where it all comes to as far as the encouragement. Look at verse 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called Whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Just consider the beginning of verse 28, and we know that all things, all things, what does all mean? All means all. All. All things together, work together for the good of those who love God. Now, sometimes when we look at one thing, we can't piece it together. But the Bible tells us that, that, that all things, but the, by the way, of all the hope verses, 28 and 29, you should write down the back of your Bible, ready to give it to somebody who's in need of that encouragement. Keep it for yourself because it's such a powerful verse that it helps us understand that all things work together for the good of those who love God. This is a passage that should be in your survival kit. Okay, you know, when you go out into the wilderness, you have a survival kit. You've got that stuff just in case. You know, you've got your, your anything to light a fire if you get stuck out there, a rain poncho. Just, just some things that if something goes really seriously wrong, you're not going to die out there in the wilderness. I don't know if you guys ever do that, but, but, but I do. I always keep stuff with me just in case. And I'm always ready. And, and the reason I have those things is because I want to make sure I'm ready for that worst case scenario. Well, this is a passage that you can put together in your survival kit for this world. It's, in, it's for the worst case scenario. When things go terribly wrong, you can remember that all things, that we can know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, how do I know I'm called according to the purpose of God? Well, are you a child of God? Have you trusted in him? Uh, for your salvation? Are you, are, you, are you one who God knows? Are you letting the Lord lead you by the hand? I'll tell you right now, that's how you know if you're called according to his purpose. Because we, we, receive, we understand what his purpose is in verse 30. Look at verse 30. 
Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So what we're seeing here is that God doesn't abandon his people, his children at any one of those stages. God doesn't start us to the, the, the stage of, of knowing us beforehand, that predestination that, uh, that he called you and then all of a sudden he's just forgotten about you. He doesn't bring you to the place of being justified in him to all of a sudden forget about you. No, he takes us all the way to that glorification. He will finish the work he began in us. So as we read that God works all things together for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, we read in verse 29, what, what are those good things? What will God do? It? Look what it says in verse 29. For those for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Understand this. The trials that we go through, the suffering of this life, the groanings that we deal with are all to make help us look more and more like Jesus. God will take those sufferings, and out of those sufferings, you and I are going to look more and more like Jesus. Jesus is is our standard. Jesus is the model, and God will, will finish that work that we will look more and more like his image. How wonderful it is that God does not abandon us. And that's where we've got to end it for tonight uh, so we can go to the Lord's table. But let's go ahead and pray and then we will go to the Lord's table. Lord God, Father, we thank you for the wonderful hope that you give to us, Lord. God, it, it's so encouraging just to see that when I didn't, when it seems that things aren't working right, Lord, they're not. And so, Lord, we come before you and we ask for you. We, we eagerly await your coming. But until that day, Lord, may we just submit in all things to you. Lord, for those who are in the midst of the trial that they've been suffering, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would, it would comfort. Lord, your word promises that you're the God of all comfort and you comfort us in our time of need. And so, Lord, we ask that you comfort. We pray, Lord, for wisdom for those who are dealing with decisions that they're not sure which way to go, what to do, especially in the midst of the trial, Lord, we ask that you might give them wisdom as we look to you. Lord God, we thank you that you never abandon us, Lord, that you will bring us about to that day of completion, and we rejoice in you. Thank you for the wonderful gift of salvation and the forgiveness of sin. We're so grateful to you, dear God. We thank you. And now as we come to your table, Lord, meet us here. We gather in your name. We gather to remember what you've done for us. Lord, speak to our hearts now. Beautiful worship. Thank you so much for giving your gifts so that we can worship our Lord and God. And thanks for joining us this evening. I just want to encourage you with that verse one more time. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. May God bless you. May he give you peace. And may he lead you by the hand this week.
Amen.